Welcome to Small Business Big Network, the podcast for small business owners who want big results from their networking. I'm Liz Drury, a freelance voiceover artist who knows that if you're not working, then networking could help. Victoria Ajoku is possibly the most enthusiastic person I've ever had on the podcast. She is a fan maker and she likes networking to spread the word about this endangered craft and to find other craft people to collaborate with. Thank you very much for being my podcast guest today, Victoria. Hello. Thank you, Liz. Now, you've got a very unique business, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first of all, I know that you haven't always done what you're doing now. So what's your background? What were you trained in originally? I was actually trained in musical theatre. Yes, those three disciplines of acting, dancing and singing. And how long ago was that? Oh, gosh, we're looking at sort of more than a decade ago, 2008. And did you actually, um, after doing your training, did you work in that field? I did a few amateur performances here and there for like the local theatres. Um, I did some pantomimes and some devised pieces. Um, and then I sort of thought, I think it's time I studied this as a proper degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went back to university and did a BA Honours in Drama, Theatre and Performance Studies. <laughs> and what did you do when you, when you left there, when you finished your training? Well, I had some time off and did some work and then went back into uni again to do a master's in performance and creative research, both at Roehampton University Mm. in London. And what did that lead on to? Well, it really gave me the passion to learn more about fans uh, because fans are props on stage mostly and have many different performative elements. And so my master's really opened me up to the performative, creative side that fans bring. And I really felt that actually, I need to do something with this craft. (laughs) I don't know what, so coming out of uni, I wasn't sure exactly what, but I knew that I loved the aspect of props on stage, set design, costume design, the makeup, and all the other theatrics that goes on in performance. Yeah. So your business now is called Fan the Glory with Tori and you are a fan maker. So you were interested in fans because of the way they were used on stage, but what actually brought you to to making fans? Yes, well actually the Heritage Craft Association of Great Britain released a list of endangered crafts in the UK. And I tell you Liz, this list was just fascinating to read because there's the endangered section and then there's the critically endangered section (laughs) Um, so quite a long list (laughs) and so um, well fans was on the critically endangered list and I just thought oh my goodness I think I'm called to do something here to have a positive intervention and to revive the craft in terms of teaching the craft, selling fans in general, and really using fan making as a creative therapeutic experiences. So I go into the communities, making sure the craft reaches people of all levels, abilities, backgrounds, walks of life. So I go into schools, care homes, community centres, residential homes, 
to really make sure that people on a broader spectrum get to at least you know try their hands on this endangered heritage craft yeah now i have to say i've never come across a fan maker before and i I imagine none of the listeners probably have either so how many fan makers are there in the uk oh there's less than a handful unfortunately um so i would say yeah about four to five people left with the craft and i think many crafts you know, men and women who have these skills. Some of them have gone abroad to teach and to live there. So it's really hard, I think, for the skill to be passed down. So I'm really focusing now on getting apprentices, building a team of other makers, volunteers to build up this revolution. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you make a fan? I mean, I guess probably everybody has concertinaed a piece of paper at primary school and made it into a, you know, a <laughs> fan. But what, what kind of materials are you using? Well, at the moment, I'm really focusing on being vegan mm. because it's just huge throughout the world at the moment, mm. um, making sure my business is as sustainable as possible. So at the moment, it's just different types of papers, Japanese papers, rice papers, parchment papers. I love mixed media papers as well because mm-hmm. they're really sturdy and have some beautiful prints on them. So, yeah, it's mostly paper for now and wood, different types of woods. And the glues are all vegan. So I think it's really been a, a real good um, marketing strategy, actually, <laughs> in getting the business out there. And so the fans that you that you make, who uses them? Are they being used in, in theatre, which is obviously where, where you started? Yes, well, at the moment, they're just being used by everyday people. So once, for example, if it's in a workshop that I do, I don't keep the fans. Mm-hmm. It's part of my ethos. If you come to a workshop, you get to keep the finished product. It's your creation that you've made. So at the moment, they're being made by ordinary people and giving back to ordinary people so that everybody can own a fan. Because I think throughout history, we just associate fans only with the wealthy, Mm. aristocracy, monarchs, um, because traditionally they've been seen as these huge status and powerful symbols of wealth and power. So for me, I'm trying to demystify and break that down and to give an opportunity for sort of everyday normal people like you and I, <laughs> well, special people, normal people are special people, uh, to make and to keep the, the fan. But I have a lovely ethos also that we try to make two fans so we can keep one for ourselves, but to give one away to someone else. Nice. And how long does it take to make a fan? I would say about an hour per fan right not that long then no no (laughs) if i'm having a really 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 good day i can get about two in an hour um but when i was first starting out it took me several hours to even make one but now it's more of a therapeutic sort of process for me i can have a tea on the side watch a bit of television whilst i'm making it it's really fun (laughs) and where, where do you run your workshops So I do them online. So you can book a workshop online where the materials will be sent to you and it can be done as a one-to-one or in a group. I also do in-person workshops across different community centres across the country. I'm mostly based in London. 
uh, London, England. But I travel now all across the country because it's critically endangered in the UK. I've got mm. to get out there. Um, but also you can hire me into your community centre. So if you're, for example, maybe a society group, you can hire me. I can come into your community centre. I do lots of workshops for, um, you know, businesses now. So I can come in a real team bonding experience. <laughs> so I do basically it's called corporate fan making workshop experiences. Uh, so that's nice as well so yeah it's a bit of both in-person online workshops as well yeah I, I like the idea of the the uh, online workshops is did that come about due to covid absolutely I think the good thing that came out of that was fan making was able to be sort of like at the point of need for people to learn a craft, to forget about, you know, all the tr troubles and all their worries, to just relax, meet new people, learn a bit about the endangered craft. So it was really nice, actually, to just be able to be open, despite the fact that we couldn't meet in person. So it was nice. I got great feedback how the workshop was a real, real um, positive mm. experience for people and they will never forget it. And... I really treasure those um, those days, those weeks, because it was good. It was good. It was positive in the end. Yeah. Now I know as well as the fan making, you're also you also have an interest in fan dancing. Tell me something about that. <laughs> oh well, I've always loved to travel across Europe, um, particularly after I'd finished my um, BA honours. I just saved up money and I thought I've got to travel. So I've travelled to Portugal, Malta, of course, Spain, mm -hmm. France, Italy. And I just really loved collecting fans, first of all, as souvenirs. Yeah. And then I think it was when I travelled the southern area of Spain, uh, Malaga, Seville, I saw flamenco dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was awesome. Just the gusto, the passion, the theme all the moves so intricately done the pizzazz everything was just so beautiful and theatrical to watch and of course i saw a fan and i saw how these ladies would open and close their fans spin twirl and communicate this sort of passion and storyline through their fans and i thought this is something i've got to try because i love dancing but I never tried flamenco dancing throughout um, school days. Mm. And I just loved it. I took some flamenco classes, then some classes with the fan online. And I loved it. And I thought, this is powerful. I enjoy it. It looks great. It's communicating something. And I just started to collect more Spanish dance fans. And I started to do performances. People would book tickets and want to see me. And I thought, this is just another layer. Mm to what fans can do and so I had to incorporate it through Fan the Glory Victoria, the dancing aspects. Well you're so enthusiastic about it, I feel like I need to try it too now. <laughs> <laughs> it is great fun, it's great fun. <laughs> and, and you mentioned that you, you're communicating with the fan and I believe that that used to happen in this country too, didn't it? There were different meanings to the way the lady was holding a fan or opening it. <laughs> yes, um, it's called the language of the fan. Mm. And it's a really interesting one to sort about after the Regency period, um, so around about the Victorian period. Mm. Um, funnily enough, even then, fan making was kind of becoming sort of 
endangered mm. in a way in terms of people's interest wasn't as strong at the beginning of the Victorian period and so one way to sort of revive its concept then was to have this language of the fan and it worked <laughs> and so there's this French um, fan making company called uh, Duveloir and they basically created this language of the fan. I like to follow their version. Though there's several online now, you type in language of the fan, you will see so many variations. Yeah. <laughs> but I go by Duvelois version. And basically what this company did was print out the language of the fan on a scroll. Mm. And in every purchase made, you would receive the language on the fan. <laughs> in a really beautiful way sort of tied up in a scroll and you could read it and play around with the language with your new fan and it was great for advertising yes. and it just I, I think it, it did the the fan industry justice I think it was great I love the idea <laughs> but I must say Liz there is no real academic evidence that really supports that this language truly existed mm. Um, I believe there's some novels, fiction novels, references to the fan. But uh, it was just a way of romanticising the idea that women could flirt and have an unspoken way of communicating, yeah. particularly to, to be found by a suitor. It was yeah. major in those days. <laughs> I love it. And I was just thinking about you know, the, the fact that you, you're trying to make your fans vegan and, and I guess sort of environmentally friendly as well. And you know, an, another way that it's environmentally friendly is that if you've got a fan, you don't need air conditioning, do you? Exactly. That's it. And it's portable. You can carry it around with you everywhere. You know, and what I love to do is bespoke fans. So for businesses and even just for everyday people, I love to just tailor it. So if it's your birthday, we can do it in a birthday theme or anything for celebrating to graduations, mm. anniversaries, weddings, baptisms, you name it, I've done it, <laughs> even for Valentine's Day. So um, you can really personalise it and, you know, yeah. carry it around with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and company logos, I imagine. Yes, company logos are so important, very important, particularly when the companies are celebrating something and they want, you know, something beautiful to decorate and garnish their tables or as a giveaway as part of their um, networking event. And so a fan is always, always up there. <laughs> Love it. So let's chat about networking now then. So how do you use networking in, in your business? oh networking is so important I would say first of all just being on social media mm -hmm. because it really enables you to just stay current and relevant and have another point of contact with clients and with people um, so making sure at least being on Instagram um, I'm now on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> which has been really fun uploading you know videos and yeah. things like that but I'll say it's super important, always carrying your business card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. that's the least thing. I mean, you'll be surprised the amount of business owners, entrepreneurs that forget to have one in their bag or, you know, in their pocket. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Very, very good tip, actually. I have been caught out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you never know when you might need a business card. <laughs> that's right. That's so right. In, in terms of, sort of networking events, what kind of things do you like to go to? 
Well, I think what's really working for me at the moment is going to the networking events that are for craftspeople, mm. other artisans, other people in a similar field. Mm-hmm. So I'm really super conscious and mindful of the type of networking events I'm going to. Mm-hmm. So if it's just like a broad general networking events for any business, they're good, but sometimes it's hard to actually build a connection yeah. with the other businesses because they're so far, in some ways, far removed from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I try to go to ones done by sorry, the Heritage Craft Association. I try to go to ones that are quite local to me. So within London mostly. So art-based, performance-based um, networking events, you'll see me there. <laughs> and what, what do you find that you get out of the networking? I find that it's just a reminder that I'm not on my own. Mm because um, I am a team I'm you know, a very small team so I run most of the manner of operations for the business so it's a reminder that there are other people out there with a similar ethos similar motto and aim and objective as me and it's been really good for me because I've collaborated I don't think there's been one networking event I've been to that I haven't come out from and there's been no collaboration mm. every event I've been able to collaborate um, several months after within that year with the people that I've met because our ideas are just so in sync with each other and it's great to help other businesses promote them and vice versa. So there is power in in numbers and uh, as I say, say, teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) So Um, it's great. And I guess... um that there are quite a lot of sort of craft art and craft based people who, who who don't network my my sister makes fused glass jewelry and i know she's not a networker so why would you recommend networking to somebody like my sister i would say networking is important because it brings you out of your comfort zone mm. and there's always something that you can be learning Um, So, for example, with me, I'm learning more about how to use uh, media a lot more to promote my brand. So it is really helpful to um, collaborate and get business cards of photographers. Yeah. um, Those who are really good in skills that maybe I'm not so good at. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good to create a healthy balance for your business because there's going to be an area that you can't dedicate 100% attention to. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so if you can grow, I guess, grow, grow your numbers, grow your network, grow the people that you know around you, then you can call upon um, Jim to help with this. Yeah. Oh, you could, you can pay Mike to help with that because you know that they're out there. Yeah. You know that they exist. But if you don't know they're out there, then sometimes you're, you're sort of limiting and narrowing what you can do and what your finished product might look like. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really intrigued by the the list of the endangered crafts. What else was on it? Oh my gosh, there is clog making, um, basket weaving, silversmithing, um, whip, whip making. (laughs) It's just, it's mind blowing what is out there. I'll encourage everyone to look at that list. It gets updated 
So I believe it's been updated this month of May 2023. So there'll be new crafts that have been added to the list and some have been moved from endangered to critically endangered. And I believe now, Liz, there's even a section that's extinct. Oh. <laughs> where it's completely gone. <laughs> so do check out that list, please. Do check it out. Yeah, sounds fascinating. So what future plans do you have for Fan the Glory with Tori? I really plan to own a premises yeah. <laughs> and to really dig my roots deeper. I think it's time now to have a space, a workshop studio, where people can find me on Google search, see the address, book a workshop in person, meet like-minded people, learn the craft, have a cream tea, mm -hmm. take away their finished product, and for it to be an area of just socialising, a real hub for community, a place where people can hear me do a talk, mm -hmm. see me do some dancing, a demonstration, a place where even schools can come yeah. and have a visit of the collection that I'm building. So I think, um, yeah, and to have an area where there's a shop where people can purchase the other handmade crafts that I do. So a premises now, I think will be a good thing. I've enjoyed being mobile. Um, I still do, you know, travel around the country and I will maintain that aspect. But I think now it's, I guess, having that balance. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Well, that sounds amazing. So in the meantime, until you get your premises where people can come and see you, what's the best place for them to find you? I would say on my website, uh, which is fantheglorywithtory.com fantheglorywithtory.com you can email me which is info at fantheglorywithtory.com info at fantheglorywithtory.com perfect lovely well thank you so much for being my guest i think you've been the most enthusiastic person i've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes you, you've certainly inspired me to go and check out that list and see what other crafts are in danger yes yes please do and have fun with it and i would say try as many crafts as you can i think one of the ways that the list um can be really interesting for us to experience is if we try some of the crafts on that list and who knows what may happen once we try who knows well thank you very much for being my guest today tori thanks liz thanks for listening to small business big network if you found this podcast useful please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share it with the rest of your network too.